Will he stop giving dollars for drugs and instead follow my common sense plan to put the resources into treatment and recovery to bring our loved ones home drug free? It's been a trillion dollars on I'm Garth Mullins. This is Crackdown. Episode 39, Backlash. Okay, so we're in the Crackdown studios. This is uh, Sam Fenn, the producer, one of the producers of Crackdown, and I'm here with Garth Mullins, the host and executive producer. How's it going, Garth? Hey, Sam. Not so bad. The reason I wanted to make this episode is because our movement is facing a critical period. I mean, this is an emergency. There is a backlash against harm reduction. Uh, There is a moral panic brewing about safe supply. We need to stop using tax dollars to fund dangerous drugs under the so-called and ironically named idea of safe supply. There is no no such thing as safe supply, right? Uh, The term safe supply uh, is a marketing term. Uh, There is nothing safe about handing out opioids en masse. Our opponents, our enemies, the people on the right are gaining a lot of traction, a lot of momentum. About half an hour on East Hastings Street, we're told this is hydromorphone. Total price, $30, a little more than a buck. And they don't stay on hydromorphone. They eventually graduate to fentanyl, which means that now the illicit drug market has more customers. They're seeing more and more youth who have um, developed addictions as a result of taking hydromorphone from diverted drug supplies. We're asking for a clear review and evidence to be brought forward. Will the Prime Minister finally put an end to the deadly policies he's put in place that are killing our people? So I wanted to explain what's happening for everybody and let people use this show as an organizing tool so they can help uh, build the fight back. And so what we're going to do on this show is kind of like tell the story of the past three years, uh, particularly the story of what's been going on with uh, so-called safe supply here in BC. Um, And in order to do that, we, we need to go back to March of 2020. Okay, so Garth, what do you remember about this time kind of right at the beginning of March 2020? Uh, We were always having funerals at Van Du. There has been a sudden jump in the number of deaths from illicit drug overdoses in British Columbia. And we were constantly meeting to figure out how we could get the government's attention and get some kind of safe supply programs going. She says the recent spike is very concerning because the deaths are potentially preventable. Everything felt stuck. And just so it's really clear to everybody, why was safe supply in particular so central to the drug user movement at this time. I mean, safe supply comes from us. Safe supply! Safe supply! Or we die! Or we die! It is a demand that has been in the drug user movement for a long time. In fact, the Canadian Association of People Who Use Drugs coined the phrase safe supply to you know, give a simple way to describe the demand, which is replace the tainted illegal drug market and pure legal safe with a pharmaceutical version where we knew what was in it, we knew how potent it was, we knew what the contents were, and uh, it would be just as easy to get. No witnessed ingestion, no, no constant piss test, no trying to change the behavior, just this 
very simple step that could stop the dying overnight. And what was the main impediment uh, to, to actually having a safe supply? I mean, the government are just gutless cowards. They just wouldn't do it, right? This is the, this is the main thing, is that we couldn't get anywhere with governments trying to convince them to make this a possibility. Stay home. Don't go out unless you absolutely have to. And then COVID starts. An extraordinary plea from Canada's Prime Minister to work together by staying home to help slow the spread of COVID-19. Sector by sector, businesses are deciding to shut their doors or cut hours. In Vancouver, and suddenly, all kinds of policies were on the table that we hadn't seen before. You know, like paying people $2,000 a month to stay at home or, or whatever it was. All kinds of things were happening. And in that sort of moment of policy opportunity came the risk mitigation guidelines. We have new prescriber guidelines um, to support people who use drugs and people who have issues with substance use disorder or addictions. And this is so the new guidelines were released on March 26, 2020. Garth, what do you remember about that time? Yeah, the risk mitigation guidelines basically allowed doctors to prescribe something for if you were a uh, up, down, or side user. So they were not the direct pharmaceutical equivalents of what we were getting on the street, but they were like, uh, you know, Dilaudid if you were an opioid user or um, or Dexedrine if you were, uh, you know, looking for a stimulant or something like that. So Dilaudid is pretty good. I won't lie. I quite like Dilaudid. So I thought, you know, this is good. This is going to help. I did realize that this doesn't meet the standard that we wanted, which is if someone's wired to fentanyl, give them prescription fentanyl. And that this still probably required a lot of medicalization and interaction with uh, doctors and all of that. But I thought this is a good step. And everybody who was involved in drafting it was like, well, this is just the first step. This is just what we can get out the door right now. We're obviously going to build this out. Yeah. And, and I think one of, the, one of the remarkable things about it was for the first time ever, doctors were now allowed to prescribe this stuff not as a form of treatment of substance use disorder. It was just to help people uh, self-isolate and, and reduce overdose. It's important because uh, opponents of these programs throw this in our face all the time. But look, doctors have a poor record of fixing us. Uh, we know how to manage ourselves pretty good. But the, the, the problem is that people aren't dying from addiction. People are dying from toxic drugs. So this program actually recognized the true face of the problem, that it's not an addiction crisis. It's actually a death crisis. So the program was aimed at death. And that was a bit of a breakthrough for us. When those first couple of scripts started to roll out, uh, I think people felt a little hopeful. Dean was almost like giddy at the idea that all he had to do was ask and, and he was being prescribed a lot. And as you say, like not, not a bad drug at all. I just started my, uh, my medicinal chipping dose today. <laughs> so you're, uh, you're now accessing the uh, enhanced the prescribing. I'm on the program. Got two months prescription and I get a weekly dispense. Right. So I was given I was given twenty grades and fucking thirty five tens. <laughs> right on, Dean. That's great. Congratulations, man. <laughs> yeah, it's working. Yeah, it was it was quite a new moment, right? Like that that people knew, the doctors, everybody knew that people would be using the dillies, yeah, to avoid dope sickness, but maybe to get high. 
and this was no longer a shameful little secret. Yeah, and some and some people, what they did with the pills is that um, they sold them and they used the money to to go buy um, to go buy fentanyl or whatever was going to actually uh, work for them. But that was that was helpful for people too, the ability to do that. I mean, we heard from some people that they were selling the pills, and we heard uh, people selling them for food. We've heard from sex workers who were prescribed Dilaudid, and that meant that they didn't need to take as many dangerous and risky dates. I don't even see clients in the car anymore um, because I know th- I know them, I know I'm safe, I have nothing to worry about, there's no concerns, barely ever anymore, and stuff, it's so much better. <laughs> you know, we heard of other people who, you know, who were able to, like, avoid doing a, you know, criminal activity uh, to avoid being dope sick as well. I think he was going to steal some city's boat um, motor or something, and I was not into that at all. I can't remember exactly what the product was, but that he was right. going for. And I said, you know, if you're just dope sick here, you know what I mean? Let me help you out with these. You know what I mean? This was, you can probably sell them or whatever, but at least do this, please. Don't don't get yourself into any trouble, right? And so we also heard from people who bought diverted pills. And for many of these people, it was it was a huge benefit for them as well because it helped them avoid the uh, dangerous illicit market. So, I mean, this this all sounded good, but nobody knew about it. We're joined by Anne Livingston. She co-founded the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, or VANDU. What we've got is a... And I guess a ministerial order that says supply is going to be made available. But what happened was mm-hmm. no one could get it. I, I mean, I personally tried to help, I think, four people get on uh, the program. I was not successful. I think what we realized, though, is that there was a culture among doctors or most doctors that this just doesn't fly. The doctors are terrified of their own college. The college continues to harass doctors who do good practice for safe supply. You know, and in the absolute worst case scenarios, what we heard is when people would go and ask their doctor about this, they face some sort of like threat of punishment for having asked about it. Some people went to their doctor and their doctor threatened to call Child Protection Services on them because they sort of confessed. Yeah, one of the first things he said to me was, so I guess we're going to have to call the ministry. And I was like, what? So I think maybe we got to about between 4 and 5% of the people in British Columbia that have uh, opioid use disorder, according to the government, were able to access this. And we, the result is these great mountains of dead bodies, mm-hmm. and it is unacceptable. And We continued meeting with the government all the way through the drug user movement to say we need a lot easier access for a lot more people and we need it to be the drugs that they're actually wired to. So the government was not not budging on this. And so we said, oh, fuck it and started doing it ourselves. We're going to keep giving out the free drugs from this tent. If you want the free drugs, they're in this tent. And this is the Drug User Liberation Front. And I remember, uh, you know, one of the first days we did it, we set up a little tent. Uh, the cops were across the street. I don't think they knew what we were doing. Free cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamine, all clean, all tested. And we're not going to stop if the government doesn't make us stop. All power to the people. So, I mean, we had this lineup, and I don't know how many people we would have served over the afternoon. 70, maybe. But, I mean, there's five or 10,000 people in need on the downtown east side, 100,000 across the province. Um, you know, we can't... We can't use our little tent to reach all those people. We're going to require 
the, the reach of the state, the prescribing apparatus of the state to do it. On February 9th, 2022, BC's chief coroner, Lisa LaPointe, announced um, that 2,224 people had died in 2021. 2021 was the sixth year of the public health emergency, and it is with tremendous sadness that I report that our province is in a worse place than it has ever been in this drug toxicity crisis. Another record year, like a huge record year for overdose deaths. Then the Minister of Addictions gets on and talks about how she's done such great work, how everyone's trying their hardest, they pat themselves on the back. It's just infuriating. We're making historic investments in mental health and addiction supports across the full spectrum of treatment and recovery. Never have so many people worked so hard and stood up so many supports. Never have so many people worked so hard and stood up so many supports. When they get on TV like they did that day and they trumpet all the efforts, they make it sound to the public like, well, safe supplies rolled out, harm reduction is universal, it's all out there. And they're going to start to think, uh, I wonder why it's not working. I wonder why the deaths aren't going down. And then right-wing opportunists are just going to be like, aha. So we just said, fuck it. You're lining us up for failure to die, but also to get attacked by the right. So we just said, you got to go. Resign. Okay, well, let's take a quick smoke break. And after that, we'll, we'll get into what that opportunity looked like. Sounds good to me. Um, all right. Welcome back. Uh, this is uh, Sam Fan here with Garth Mullins. And Garth, um, you know, before that break there, we were talking about uh, the way that there was a space opened up for the right wing. And I w- I'm wondering what you remember sort of about the right wing backlash and how it got going. Yeah, I mean, I remember in the sort of time, like even before the pandemic, it's like they were trying out different strategies. So here in Vancouver, there were groups that were suggesting take a video of someone using drugs on the street and post them online to shame them. And all of these groups, like uh, one of them was called Safer Vancouver, were also calling for some really outlandish and uh, fringy kind of things. It would have been better to bring in a a naval ship or um, set up a barracks somewhere and take them away from the city core and say they have to stay there. They can use their drugs and yell and scream and fight and do whatever they want to do, but it's not going to be near children, elderly people. But what is the, what is the... And then there was this one uh, uh, candidate for provincial office, Sam Sullivan. I am Sam Sullivan, running for re-election as MLA for Vancouver Falls Creek. And Let's part of his campaign was that they should not build this safe injection site in a part of Vancouver called Yale Town. Then the NDP government decided to put a supervised injection site across from a children's playground. Children will now have to compete for their space. Let's defend and reclaim our vibrant neighborhoods and restore safety to all our communities. But he didn't get elected. You know, the message didn't take off. And in fact, people didn't like it. And it wasn't like this kind of anti-harm reduction stuff was uh, only happening on the political right. 
here in BC, uh, now Premier David Eby, who's a member of the NDP, he campaigned on a kind of a promise of um, of implementing some kind of mandatory treatment program. Just two days after being sworn in, big promises from BC's new Premier. And I told you that I'd hit the ground running. Uh, we, are, uh, we are working hard. Newly announced measures include leaving open the possibility of forcing people into treatment. But throughout the pandemic, there was more and more of this anti-vax stuff, like real anti-vax, COVID is a hoax, all this sort of shit brewing up on the right. And it really burst onto the scene in a big way in Ottawa, um, you know, in the beginning of 2022. A trucker's convoy rolls into the nation's capital. Absolute chaos. And that that sort of occupation, I think, was a big uh, wake-up call to people, certainly um, members of the Conservative Party, you know, um, in, including the leader, recognized the momentum there and sort of went to have selfies and, and give supportive messages to, to the convoy. And Conservative leadership hopeful Pierre Polyev showed his support Thursday, joining James Tong, the Canadian soldier who was court-martialed for criticizing vaccine mandates. And this is sort of how it starts, right? But it, at, at least at first it hadn't, the, the, this kind of like nascent, right-wing populist movement, whatever you want to call it, it hadn't turned its attention to us yet. Yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, when that convoy was really taking root, I wondered how long before they find us. There really is no such thing as safe supply. Uh, There is nothing safe about handing out opioids en masse to a population with as few controls as possible. Um, so that's a that's a clip from a video called Vancouver is Dying, which is hosted by a guy named Aaron Gunn, uh, and it included uh, it included a clip from Marshall Smith, who's the chief of staff of the Premier of Alberta. This video came out during the election campaign in Vancouver and has been seen a lot, but it starts to set up the argument that safe supply not only has safe supply failed, but safe supply is actually the problem. Like I've even heard of college students and high school students in this area in general purchasing those safe supply drugs off of dealers that sell all of the harder narcotics that are creating the problem that we see in the downtown east side. And this argument has become a lot more common, but the video features a lot of voices from people who are quite active in I guess the recovery industry, so people who you know run or are affiliated with these private and often for-profit recovery houses and, and politicians that are aligned with them. The film also has a lot of uh, Vancouver police-connected um, individuals in it too. Um, Alex, do you want to play the next clip? Do you ever feel like everything's broken in Canada? We need to stop using tax dollars to fund dangerous drugs under the so-called and ironically named idea of safe supply. There is no safe supply of these drugs. They are deadly, they are lethal, and they are relentlessly addictive. So that's a video you've heard on the show before. It's called Everything Feels Broken, and it's uh, and it's featuring the leader of the federal conservative party. Yeah, I think we should really take this seriously because this guy is quite likely to become prime minister. So we're getting a look ahead at what's going to happen to drug policy in this country through this video. Mm. What is what is Polyev lying about? Well, suggesting that the mass deaths from uh, toxic drugs are caused by dilaudid prescription. Uh, that's just not true. Giving people more of these drugs 
will not free them from their addiction. It will only lead to their ultimate death, as we have seen over the last several years that it has been tried here in Vancouver. There's no evidence showing that um, prescribed Dilaudid or safer supply or whatever you want to call it is contributing to these deaths in any meaningful way. That's right. And the the Dilly panic doesn't stop there. Um, Alex, can you maybe play us the next clip? Concerns are being raised over safe supply programs in Canada because of what's being done after the drugs are administered to users in the program. A National Post investigation found many users are selling their safe supply drugs to other users so they can in turn buy stronger opioids on the street. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. National Post columnist Adam Zivo joins me to discuss the findings of his investigation, why addiction physicians are worried, and what, if anything, is being done to stop the practice. So essentially, you know, fentanyl users, they want to get high. They want to have that euphoria. Hydromorphone doesn't provide that to them. So they take that hydromorphone and they sell it on the streets. And now you have a whole bunch of youth who are using hydromorphone and they're developing addictions because of it. And they don't stay on hydromorphone. They eventually graduate to fentanyl, which means that now the illicit drug market has more customers. So this is kind of interesting, right? Uh, Adam Zivo has written this uh, 10,000 word op-ed, essentially. That's the investigation that he's referring to in that uh, podcast clip. Uh, and there, such a thing has never really existed in, in Canadian media space, really. And it was, uh, it's taken up an incredible amount of uh, bandwidth in the discussion. And it sort of represents what appears to me the emerging editorial position of Canada's largest media voice. This is also... Uh, worth discussing. Again, you know, it goes back to the the youth question. Yeah, um, I think, Garth, maybe we should talk a little bit about this idea that the availability of of uh, uh, drugs like Dilaudid, um, this idea that they've been, they flooded the streets, they're so available now, that that's leading to a whole bunch of new opioid users um, among kids, you know, people who otherwise would never use drugs. And I'm wondering what you sort of think of that framework that the right has asked us to think about. Well, we've seen from the Center for Disease Control that new uh, cases of opioid use disorder or the rates of that are staying relatively stable. Now, I, I don't I don't know what to, to make of that data, but the idea that if a kid just comes into contact with a certain drug, boom, like that's it's on, you know, they're wired or, or they're going down this dark hole. That is not true. Right. Like this is not what causes it. Uh, so I, I, I think that's a classic old idea of of the drug war. With controversy raging in Victoria over the extent to which doctor-prescribed opioids are being diverted into the street trade, we hit the streets of Vancouver Friday to find out what was really happening. It took us about half an hour on East Hastings Street and we were able to buy 26 tablets. Total price, $30, a little more than a buck a pill. We hit the streets. <laughs> Sorry. This is a TV news piece, so it's really sensational, right? Yeah. And and the guy sounds a little breathless and sensationalistic. A little. But it's weird to be a journalist in this town and be surprised by the fact that you can get drugs on the downtown east side. And most people know that at the corner of Maine and Hastings where there's a shot, you've been able to buy pills, diverted pills, prescription pills, for decades. Okay, Garth, so maybe we should address this because it's it's like the backbone of so much of this um, moral panic reporting that's been happening about Dillies, right? Is this idea that now it's easier than it used to be for people to go acquire 
hydromorphone illicitly on the street. And I think that that's probably true, right? That's incrementally true. Most of the Dilaudid that's around is prescribed for pain. A much higher proportion is prescribed for pain than for drug addiction. And that includes what's, uh, what's diverted. So uh, simply stopping the small dribble of safe supply prescribing of hydromorphone will not stop the availability of Dilaudid in the world. I tell you, between here and Pill Corner, where you might find somebody selling Dilaudid on Pill Corner, maybe, you're going to find a dozen people, maybe more, selling uh, fentanyl or what's called down, which could include benzodope or could include xalazine. Who knows? There is way, way more. Uh, there's a flood of the dangerous stuff. There's a trickle of the much, much less dangerous hydromorphone. That's right. Uh, next clip, please and thank you. Uh, multiple doctors, I can tell you, more than half a dozen doctors have reached out to me in the past couple of weeks to tell me about the things that they're seeing, um, which may be unintended consequences of the Safe Supply Program, specifically related to hydromorphones, because they're seeing youth using diverted Dilaudid from the streets, How? becoming addicted, I and... Sure, go ahead. How do you do that? Like, if you give someone a prescription drug, how are you supposed to make sure they take the drug? There's lots of different ideas that I've heard from doctors, one of them being a witnessed consumption. Um, like I, I said, I'm not a doctor. These are yeah. things that need to be figured out. But where I have people blowing the whistle that there may be unintended consequences, it is my duty to British Columbians to bring that forward. Eleanor Sturko is a member of the right-wing opposition party in BC. So she's the critic of the addictions ministry. And she's been uh, reaching for a really sort of standard argument uh, amongst drug warriors. It's, won't somebody please think of the children? Uh, we hear this a lot, right? So it's, it really pulls at the heartstrings. And, of course, we have recently seen numbers from the coroners which show that a lot of kids are dying. Yeah, that's right. So the coroner service just recently put out a report uh, called Youth Unregulated Drug Toxicity Deaths uh, from 2017 to 2022 is what it's looking at. During this time span, there were 142 kids who um, died from overdose. Fuck. And what do you mean by kids, Sam? What is that? Every, ages? Anyone under the age of 19. Damn. And of these 142, um, zero zero percent of those kids overdosed on exclusively Dilaudid. Um, there were some that had Dilaudid in their system at the time of their death, but nobody with only Dilaudid. A lot of overdoses involve multiple uh, drugs in their system. But like, wh why don't you, um, there's, a, there's a certain chart that shows like exactly what other things are in people's systems ahead of that. And can you walk us through that, Sam? Yeah, so 71% of the kids who died had fentanyl in their system. It's it's far and away the highest. Next up uh, at 37% is cannabis, actually. That's an interesting one because I think no one would, would think that's contributing to the overdose. It just happens to be in the toxicology reports because people happen to be smoking weed that's or right. whatever. That's right. People aren't dying from pot. Yeah. So it's just, but it's, in, it's on board. It's in there. Yeah. Next is methamphetamine. After that, uh, naloxone, actually. Um, cocaine is after that, then alcohol, and then atizolam, morphine, MDMA, acetylfentanyl. And after that, uh, uh, in 9% of the toxicology reports, there's hydromorphone. Um, so obviously... So this is Dilly's. So this is way down the list of things that are on board in a small number of cases, but that doesn't mean that they died from the Dilly's or the hydro hydromorphone that was on board there. 
And so whatever is causing the deaths in kids, I think we take it seriously. But when we ask ourselves what's killing them, it's the same thing that's killing the rest of us. It's uh, it's street fentanyl. It's not knowing the potency or whatever is, is in the stuff. And what um, that MLA Eleanor Sturko suggests is that there's more controls. There's more monitoring. There's more anti-diversion measures. And what we know about those is that it keeps people from programs. So like this, these same arguments were made back in the 90s when I was trying to get on methadone. And what that's meant is that um, it doesn't mean that you can't buy methadone on the street. You can. What it means is that uh, for a lot of people, they're just not interested in the program or that they don't stick with the program because it's so onerous. That's why we call it liquid handcuffs. So what we know is those measures keep people away and they would including kids who could benefit off of being on such programs. So we've had a series of meetings about uh, the rising threat from the right here. But when the light bulb really went on was a a couple weeks ago when uh, we just put on a clip from the debates in the House of Commons. So people were sort of gathered around the big room in Van Du. We hooked it up to the TV and we just rolled it. The Prime Minister has spent $100 million on so-called safe supply. One global news reporter went into the street to find out where all these drugs are going. Turns out they're being resold to other addicts in order to raise the money to buy deadly fentanyl. They were debating uh, safe supply. They were debating this word that came from our movement and hearing it coming out of the lips of the the leader of the federal opposition party, the right-wing party, People were worried. But then when he said, and here's what we should do, we should defund all of these safe supply programs, uh, that was that was quite shocking to people. Will the prime minister cancel the dollars for drugs and instead put the resources into treatment for addicts? Well, he lost the motion, right? But we knew he was going to. But what he knew he could do is he could put a motion in the House of Commons and have it debated. And it's the biggest platform, the loudest megaphone in the country. And he could use it to rally his troops to help organize his movement on the right. And I think it was very effective at doing it. You know, one of the things that that we've tried to make clear in this episode is like, even, even if the government doesn't um, doesn't capitulate to the right-wing backlash and it continues prescribing Dilaudid to people, this system relies on doctors feeling comfortable and safe prescribing this stuff to people. And the kind of right-wing atmosphere that's been created recently, it has an impact because individual doctors read the news and they watch TV and they think like, I, I'm not going to be the one who gets sued for over-prescribing or one of my patients dies. And there's just kind of a... There's a chilly climate. And yeah, now um, that this sort of uh, attack is on, uh, they're they're more fearful and they're reversing themselves, some of them. And we really have have seen this around Van Du. We've been hearing about it. And uh, so um, one evening, a group sort of held a, a meeting where it was like, come in and bring your stories. What's actually happening? Did yeah, anybody get cut off from their safe supplies? They're prescribed. Yes. 
If you have, please raise your hand. Who said yes? You know, the chair asked, hey, um, who's getting cut off? And some hands went up. How many hands did you see? Four. Four. And there's about, what, 20 people here? And so, uh, I, you know, I walked around with the mic while people started to tell their story. I've been cut off of the Delata 8s. I've been cut off of the Mertaza Pams. Do, do, do you have to do daily witness? Five times a day, seven days a week. I lost my job to it. I've lost friends to it. I can't have a life. I can't even go for a weekend. I've done everything everybody has said. And all I have is, in my mind's eye, is go die. When she cut you off, most recent? Uh, about, must have been about six months ago. Four or six months ago. Yeah. They just looked on the computer and saw that I'd missed a few days here and there of the Dilatas, and that was it. Did you have to go in every day to get your Dilatas? No, they were delivered. They were delivered to me. Delivered to you? Yeah. It was anywhere between uh, 7 in the morning and 10 in the morning. So you didn't have a light? Yeah, yeah, well, you couldn't really go to work, right? No one's going to hire you if you can't come in until 11 o'clock or 10.30. You were cut off? Yeah, I was cut off uh, Dilaudid and uh, Methadone, or Methadol-D, and they gave me a small dose of, uh, they gave me 200 milligrams of fentanyl patch, but I just didn't feel comfortable with the fentanyl patch on. So she let you go back to Dilly's? Yeah, but cut me in half, and I only got a 14-day script, and then I'm done. That's just oh. to wean me off. And I had to fight just to get half of them. She's like, okay, well, I can give you a half back because we're just continuing this program. Vandu board has asked me to coordinate our response to this backlash. So we had a big emergency general meeting just recently. Thanks, uh, my name is Garth Mullins. Uh, and there was, it was packed. There was people all through the floor, sitting all up the stairs, and we played some of the clips. So people saw Polyev and they saw the debates in the House of Commons and they saw some of this media coverage. And then, and then after, after we watched those clips, there was a discussion on what we're all going to do about this. These are crucial times, and uh, we have to band together and really um, listen and understand and try to understand what uh, this government is doing. Vandu will be taking on a, and this is Vandu's historic role as leaders in the drug user liberation front. We will be taking on a multi-year campaign to fight our enemies and the government on the streets, the cops. Now come on, one, one more time, folks. One more fucking time. This emergency general meeting at Vandu is just the beginning for us. We're gonna be holding these every month, but also working with our comrades and colleagues and allies and fellow travelers all across the country. Other drug user activists, uh, other groups like Mom Stop the Harm, other harm reduction groups, the labor movement, the unions. We're gonna be working with everybody who wants to defend harm reduction and safe supply from the attacks on the right. 
And it's this movement, a broad militant social movement that's on our feet and in the streets. This movement is what's gonna defend us against these attacks from the right. And not only that, if we build it strong enough, it'll take us past that. It'll bring us those wins that we finally need to end the dying and to demolish the drug war. I just want to make a shout out this episode to Wayne Mullins. Wayne has listened to every episode of this show, and he's a big fan. I love you, Uncle. Crackdown is produced on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil nations. Our editorial board is Simona Marsh, Shelda Castor, Jeff Loudon, Dean Wilson, Laura Shaver, Raya Jean, and rest in peace, Dave Murray, Greg Frez, and Sharice Kiwatin. This episode was conceptualized, written, and produced by Sam Fenn, Alex DeBoer, Lisa Hale, and me, Garth Mullins. Crackdown's academic director is Ryan McNeil. Special thanks to Alex Betzos for research assistance. The music in today's episode was written and performed by James Ash, Sam Fenn, and me. If you like what we do, support us at patreon.com crackdownpod. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and keep six.